As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to today's episode of The Black Sales Professional. I'm your host, James M. Fields. And today I have visiting with me John McIntosh Jr., a pharmaceutical sales representative from St. Louis, Missouri. Now, John started his pharmaceutical sales career in 2001 with Abbott Laboratories. He's moved between different companies over the years, selling a variety of disease states. His primary customers include primary care and some specialists. He spent time in healthcare management, education, and outside sales before returning to the pharmaceutical industry just over a year ago. Now, John holds a Bachelor of Arts in Media Communication, a Master of Arts in Media Communications, Public Relations, and a Master of Arts in Healthcare Administration. John is also an active member of the Jake Gaston Lodge Number no. 18, Free and Accepted Masons, Prince Hall affiliated. He's a member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, and his professional affiliations include the Nash being a member of the National Sales Network. He's also an entrepreneur, being an owner of MoArc Media, owner of Three Dot Defense LLC, which is uh, teaches conceal and carry a notary public and co-owner of 4M Creative Solutions. John has been happily married to his wife of 23 years and they have three children. So John, first of all, congratulations on being first in your region for your sales, for, your, for pharmaceutical sales for your, with your company and, and qualifying for the trip. That's a great feat. Um, so for our audience, can you, can you walk us through your path to sales? Wow, that's a long path. Uh, a long time ago when I was in graduate school, I was uh, getting a master's degree in public relations and I was walking through the hall from here to there and I came across one of my uh, first professors uh, at that time and she told me, she said, you know, John, I know you're, you know, really into media and video and film and all that kind of stuff. She said, but you know what? I really think you would be cut out in sales. Now, I have no idea where she got this from, but it was something that kind of stuck with me. And it wasn't something that I immediately acted on. Uh, at that time, I was working as a, a student for the federal government during my undergraduate and graduate school. And uh, after that, I went to work as a an academic advisor at one of the local uh, HBCUs here in the state of Missouri, Harrison State University. Uh. And it was during that time that I uh, had a friend of mine whose dad was in pharmaceutical sales. In fact, at that time, he worked for uh, a division of Johnson and Johnson. And so uh, I asked him. I said, well, "You know what? What if I ride along with you just to kind of see what you do?" And so he said, yeah. So we went out one day and I basically shadowed him for the day and saw how he interacted with, with physicians and, and, and with their staff. And um, at the end of the day, I said, wow, is, is that it? Said, Man, I think I could probably do this. And so uh, his name was Fred Thomas, by the way. He's retired now. And um, so that was kind of the kind of the, the real catalyst or spark that really got my my uh, 
like Houston Plong in terms of maybe really trying to get into this industry. Now at that time, uh, it was, and it still is to an extent, very competitive to get into the pharmaceutical sales industry because it has been labeled as one of the coveted uh, sales industries to get into because everybody's trying to do it because, you know, you get make a pretty decent salary, they give you a company car, you go on trips, training, all that kind of stuff. Um, so without belaboring, the, <laughs> belaboring it too long, uh, I got books on how to interview for pharmaceutical sales positions. I researched companies um, and uh, went to job fairs. Wherever they were, I was there. And um, you get a lot of rejections uh, trying to get into that industry because, again, it's just very competitive, very competitive to get into it. And so uh, I had gone to one job fair, I can't even remember where it was, and uh, I was at the booth of uh, Abbott Laboratories, and I just happened to make a connection with one of the uh, HR representatives who happened to be African-American herself. And so um, I ended up getting, uh, submitted my resume at that time, and I had no sales experience, let me just, let me just say that. Um, but to kind of make a long story short, I ended up getting interviewed for the job. They flew me to Chicago, uh, which is where they were headquartered, did a series of interviews, and got an offer. And so that's kind of what started. And this was in November of 2001. Hmm. And uh, so that's, that's, that's how it got started. Now, I had been around in different companies during that time. And uh, actually, even different industries. I left industry and then just returned back. So, but yeah, that was that was kind of how I how I got started in it. You know, it's interesting because my first when I decided that I was going to get into outside sales, mm-hmm. pharmaceutical sales was the industry that I knew about. Yep. And it's very interesting that you said how competitive it was because. Um, when I reached out, I was working with a headhunter and the headhunter kind of told me, I said, well, you know, I'd like to, to find an opportunity in, um, as a pharmaceutical rep. And this was back in 90, 97, 96, yeah. 96 yeah. it was. And she, she had mentioned, she says, well, you know, I'm going to be pretty candid with you. Um, in order, you know, they tend to look for the Barbie and Ken look. And I said, well, considering I don't look like either one of those folks, <laughs> this one might be a little bit tough. <laughs> and so I actually, how, how long did it take you to, from the time that you started with your resume out there with the rejections and what have you to the time that you actually um, got an offer from, from Abbott, would you say? I would say it took anywhere from as little to six to nine months to a year, to the better part of a year. Oh, wow. Okay. In fact, it it, had gotten to the point where, uh, I mean, I was like literally in these books, actually published books on how to break into the industry, you know, back then, to the point where, as Joel said, you know what, just give it up. It's just, but there was just something in me that said, no, this is not going to defeat me. And so that, you know, just kind of having that, that, that flame and that desire because I had an idea of what was on the other side of it once I got in. And so, um, but yeah, it took, I want to say, probably about a year. Wow, yeah, see, I, when I was doing it, I didn't have that much time. I was like, hey, you know what? I started looking at some other opportunities. But, you know, it's funny, the, um, I think it was yesterday, the day before yesterday, I posted and made a post on, I think it was LinkedIn and, and Instagram, which, and the whole thing was centered around adversity breeds uh, perseverance. And so I think that's one of the things that, if, I mean, it took you six to nine months um, to, and to try to get hired. I'm sorry? six to nine months in several companies and job fairs, I might add. Yeah, you, you know, that is that is enough to make a lot of people kind of take a detour. Now, would you say that it's just as competitive now um, and takes just as much to get in, or? I would say yes, but in a different, but from a, from a different perspective, and, and, and this is what I mean. So, 
when I came in in the in the early 2000s, uh, this was a time where it appeared that all of these companies were just hiring. It was just a hiring boom of representatives. And I'll throw you know Pfizer out there. And the reason why I throw them out there is because they are and still they were and still are you know one of the biggest companies out there. Well, they had so many products, and most of these companies had multiple products that they hired this large sales force to promote two, three, four, five, and six products at a time. And so the business model for most companies was to literally flood these doctor's offices uh, with, with reps and, and, and samples and all of this marketing material, pens, pads, bags, just everything. And so they started to equate that with, wow, the more we're in there, the higher the sales will be because you hear the message over and over again. And so then it got to a point where the market had gotten overly saturated. Well, actually, two things happened. One, the market was overly saturated with pharmaceutical sales reps. And there were uh, a, a decent number of African-Americans out there at that time, and but fewer before I got in. And then what ended up happening is that, well, two things. One, companies started buying up smaller companies to acquire their products. Uh, the other is that the uh, products, a lot of products had gone generic, and so once a product goes generic, you no longer have or need the sales force to promote that drug because now you have more representatives than you have products to, you know, to promote, to promote those products. Uh, more reps to promote than uh, you have more reps then you have products to promote. That's what I mean to say. And so, um, and then what started happening, a lot of companies, uh, if they got bought out, they may have laid off, you know, their sales force if those people were not brought over to the other company. And that actually happened in, in, in a, with a situation with me. But, um, but in terms of now and the competitiveness of it, it's different because now you have a lot of companies what are called CSOs or contract sales organizations. And really all that means is that let's say a company like a Johnson and Johnson wants uh, an additional sales force to promote whatever their drug is. Well, instead of investing in hiring more representatives under the Johnson and Johnson, you know, umbrella, what they'll do is they'll go out and get a contract sales company with a, with their own sales force and co-promote a product with them. So the way that it benefits Johnson and Johnson is that we have additional voices out there promoting our product with little cost to us because we're not responsible for their salary. We're not responsible for their insurance. We're not responsible for their bonuses or their company cars or any of those things. And for the contract sales organization, it gives them an opportunity to be linked up with a major company, to be able to promote a product, to be able to hire representatives pay them and draw other individuals, you know, into their organization. So there was some mutual benefit to that. So most of the companies now that I've seen are using uh, more contract sales uh, forces. There are pluses and minuses with it, but depending on where you are, you know, in your, in your job search or in your career cycle, that might be a good fit for you. So, you know, it, it's competitive depending on, on what the situation is. You, you bring up something the CSO model. Um, I come from an, I'm in an industry right now where with uh, security sales and we have all these different, we're an integrator. So for example, I'm, I am an integrator with ADT. However, I go out and market all these different, all these different prop manufacturers across the board. So I have a bunch of camera manufacturers, access control, all that good stuff. Um, and they have manufacturers reps. And so one of the things that we, you know, I was looking at with regards to sales positions, of course, is that you have B2B, you have B2C, and then the pharmaceutical side was more thought of as um, demand creation. And would you consider that, is that kind of an accurate description of pharmaceutical sales or is it a little bit different, kind of a blend? Uh, two quick things. One, I actually used to sell and work with ADT, which is a whole nother story. Uh, the, 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 the second is I've never heard it put in those terms before, but I would actually have to say 
yes, in a in a very real sense, is a demand created type of uh, type of industry, especially if you have a drug that either has been on the market for a while but hasn't really been promoted, or you have a drug that is being launched to the market for the first time, and so you're trying to create demand for it. So I would say that that's probably the best the best description of it. Okay, I, I want to come back to that. Toward, later on in the interview, when I, when, uh, but I want to take a step back and 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 you you got in with Abbott in two thousand one, and then you started selling for Abbott and then other companies across the board. Um, now, being an African American, because I know what I went through selling. I started selling black and white copiers, then I went to selling. Software, business system software and employer services and it was rough from a from an african-american standpoint um i can only imagine being black and walking into doctor's offices because the biggest the biggest challenge that i had sitting across the table from a chief financial officer was the doubt that i was that i knew what i was talking about what type of challenges did you run across being a black pharmaceutical sales rep? You know, some of the challenges, you know, relating to what you were saying is when you're sitting across somebody who obviously has, you know, more education and degrees than you do, is to be able to have a conversation with them about a specific disease state and a specific product that, quite frankly, you're the expert in. And so, it was a challenge because you have to win over their confidence in you by being able to quote unquote speak their language. So I'll give you an example. If uh, you take a cardiologist, and I use cardiologists because I currently call on cardiologists, number one. Number two, they're a very esoteric specialty group. I mean, they, they're smart and they know that they're smart. They are, for the most part, driven by uh, evidence based medicine clinical studies, outcomes, and those sorts of things. So before you go talk to a cardiologist about your particular drug that's, you know, that you're trying to cater it to them and to their patients, you have to be on top of, you know, well, what was the clinical trial that your drug was used in? What was the, you know, who were the patients? Was it randomized, double blind? You know, how long were they followed up? What were the endpoints? What were the primary endpoints, secondary endpoints? Did they meet those endpoints? Uh, so there's a lot of things that you need to understand in order to communicate to them that you know what you're talking about and even more so that the product that you're tr that you're trying to promote to them and get them to prescribe to their patients that it's something that you know they can say okay I, I, I can I can I can go with that that makes sense or I need to read up on that here's the study right here on page well I really can't tell what page stuff is on you have to let them find it for themselves but being able to uh, at least know enough about your product. You're the product expert. They're the disease expert. And your job is to communicate to them how... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.
this product, which I'm the expert in, is going to help the patients where you're the expert in. And you want to try to marry those two things together. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard, but it just depends on the, the physician. It depends on the personality because you can't sell the same way to everyone, even if they're in the same, uh, the same specialty. So there's a lot of different nuances that you kind of have to be aware of, but certainly knowing what you're talking about, being confident in what you're talking about and asking questions. And that's the other thing that I'll probably say just with regards to specialists. They don't necessarily like to be taught anything. They want to know that they're the smartest person in the room. So, hmm. you, you, so then you'll sit back and say, you know, Dr. Fields, um, you know, if help me understand what would be the best way to promote this product to a primary care physician based on your expertise. And then you sit back and let them talk. By letting them teach you, it gives them the, it, it puts them in the position of being the expert, which they are. And then, so you kind of have to subtly say, well, you know what? In that particular patient population, this is how my product can help your patient. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a bit of intellectual jujitsu, uh, you know, to kind of making sure that you're, you're not applying too much pressure, but you're making them feel like, they're the expert because they are you know listening to you kind of walk through how you handle uh, those type of sales calls it's pretty interesting because it, it mirrors really what you do what I what I've done for years and, and what have you in selling business solutions um, you, you know and you have those individuals who are who consider themselves to be the smartest people in the room and you have to kind of let them kind of bring themselves to, to, to convince to talking about or selling themselves on the product as opposed to you telling them. Uh, if you tell them, they're not going to believe you. But if they say it, then, of course, they will believe what you're, what you're talking about. Um, and so I think it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I have a different, different perspective because, like I said, I always thought of it as being um, the job with demand or demand creation. Everybody like thinks about the perks right. of the cars, the lunches and the, and what have you. But you mentioned about product knowledge and, and, and the level of knowledge that you really have to have. And, and, and then what I'm thinking about is just how smart a person has to be, to be able to, you probably went to school for something totally different, which of course you did media uh, communications. And now you're, talking about the heart cardiology the car the cardio what cardiovascular system and being able and and then research as well and understanding how different types of research should be interpreted that's pretty you know pretty interesting okay so being being black um how did that impact your your overall career would you say how did uh, impacted in what way? In other words, kind of, did you find yourself having to um, work harder, having to not getting, you know, there are certain doctors or offices or territories that you were kind of relegated to, um, which, for example, when I first came in, my first job was selling black and white copiers and they gave me a territory and the territory was one, they call it a virgin territory, but the reality behind it is it was a, a territory that was very difficult in which it was a weed out type of, uh, of, of territory, not a lot of big companies, a lot of small mom and pop stores. Yep. Um, or you see in some cases they'll put you in a territory with a lot of maybe doctors that maybe look like you. Are those some of the things that you that you that you saw, or have seen, other African American pharmaceutical reps go through? So, uh, I'll answer. So the first question is: Have I been in a position where, you know, I had to? How can I answer that? I'll answer it this way: I have had territories that were let's just say less than desirable. What do I mean by that? And, and to your point, I've had territories where as an African-American male, 
I've had 50, 60, 70% rural territory. Very small towns, uh, sundown towns, if, 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 if they still exist in most places, if you will. Um, uh, the challenge that I found with it was I never, I never had run into any type of any type of trouble in these in these towns. In fact, a lot of the, most of the time the people were very nice. But I think because they were, you know, a little bit on the impoverished side, uh, again, very rural, there was not a lot of room for me to grow a business in an area where the majority of the people, quite frankly, are not as affluent. Maybe don't maybe most of them are on you know, public aid or, or, or Medicare or those types of things. And then your drug, you know, is, is very expensive and not a whole lot of insurance companies cover it. Um, so that's a challenge, no matter who you are, it, it, it's a challenge. Um, but certainly you have having that perception that people are perceiving you as, you know, what's this person doing here? Again, I've never had that happen to me directly, not in my face. But I always made it a point to carry myself in a professional manner, making sure that, you know, I was just as uh, on top of my game as I possibly could be. Um, in terms of having seen other people put into a territory to weed them out, I can't say that I've seen it happen to other people, but then on the other hand, it may have happened to me and I just didn't know it at the time. And what I can tell you is that, in fact, I'll give you an example. Um, there was a point where I had literally central and southern Illinois, and it's all rural, all small towns. I still remember those towns like the back of my like the back of my hand. And um, at that time, I was working with the contract sales company, launched a new product, couldn't get it to move anywhere. Now, I don't know if it was because I was black. Don't know. Uh, but what I do know is that my contract ended before the contract ended, if you know what I mean. And then, mm -hmm. what, ended up, and then what ended up happening, the contract sales company that let me go ended up having its contract ended by the parent company because the sales weren't generated. So it's kind of hard to say is, it's kind of hard to say, well, you were put there to fail. It, it, I mean, not that it doesn't happen, but if it happened to me, it didn't register with me. I just thought the territory was less desirable. And, you know, there were other territories that just performed better simply by the population, where they were, and who their, you know, who their customer base was. Um, but, you know, I think we all go through that, you know, through those types of hardships from time to time. You can't do anything else, but, you know, just learn from them and, uh, you know, keep it moving. Now, you mentioned that you left the industry. What 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 had you? What made you look outside of the pharmaceutical sales industry? So, what made me look outside of it was a couple of things. The industry over the last twenty years has really changed. Um, there are a lot of things that you no longer can do that you used to be able to do back in the day. For instance, there was a time where it was okay to take. You know, doctors and their nurses out to ball games or out to dinners and all that kind of stuff. Um, trips and you know, just all those types of things in order to you know gain favor. And a lot of companies, a lot of the largest companies, did that, and it and it worked. Uh, but what ended up happening is that it was perceived, and it was to a degree true, that a lot of physicians who were being courted by a lot of these large companies. Uh, it was a quid pro quo type of relationship. Uh, you know, hey, if I get you tickets to the to the Blues game, will you write write my prescription? Never mind if it was the, you know, the best drug for their patients. It was just a it was a it was a tit for tat quid pro quo type of thing. Um, but so I left uh, Abbott Laboratories in almost exactly six years later in two thousand and seven. Uh, for two reasons. One, I will say Abbott's a great company. It is a great company. I still have stock in it. But I didn't see an opportunity for growth for me there 
Uh, and so there was an opportunity at another company selling in uh, allergy and asthma, which I was very much interested in. And so uh, a friend of mine who worked, worked there said that, hey, you know, they're interviewing for, you know, this position, this territory, which I already had. And so I took it. Loved the company. And then probably within maybe about 16 or 18 months, that company got bought out by a larger company, Merck. Merck Pharmaceuticals, <laughs> which, by the way, has a black CEO. I don't know if you know that. Um, mm, no, I didn't. Yeah, Merck has a black CEO. And so what they did is that they wiped out a whole lot of sales reps during that time. And I was one of them. And that was the first time that I had ever been downsized out of a job, got the service, got the got the severance and all of that. Um, and so I did, I went from there. I was, I used my severance to kind of, kind of keep, you know, kind of keep the house going for a while. And then I had gone and found a contract sales job, which was cool. So I, I did that for a while. And then when that contract abruptly ended, you know, and I was starting to kind of burnt out on it. It just, it, it, I was just, it was just so mundane and, you know, it wasn't doing what I needed for it to do. And so uh, at that point, I decided that I was going to go back to school to get a, a master's in health administration because I wanted to see what it was like on the other side, on the administrative side, not just the sales side, but the administrative side. And so I ended up getting a, a second master's degree in health administration. And for the, and after I got that degree for the next maybe five or six years I worked in uh, healthcare administration first as a huh. uh, as a um, as a risk manager for a community health organization and then for a larger uh, uh, healthcare system here in, here in St. Louis well uh, I ended up leaving there there was, we had to separate from there and then I thought and I started to miss it I started to miss you know sales because I had been out of it for, for quite a while and quite honestly I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get back in because I had been out for so long well an opportunity came along and again I you know put my resume out there and interview phone interviews live interview job fairs you know the whole nine member of National Sales Network St. Louis chapter big ups um, and so I kind of started to get that get that bug back and then an opportunity came along with my current company uh, Ameren Pharmaceuticals, and uh, it just happens to be uh, in a territory that I formerly had before, so I knew the geography, and they were in the process of uh, sort of relaunching this product that they have, and they were seeking an FDA indication, uh, a new FDA indication for it, so they were in the process of ramping up their sales force, so I just kind of happened to come along at the, at the right time, with the right experience, so that's how I got back into it. So you got the bug to come back to 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 carrying the bag again. Well, hey, you know what? I mean, that, hey, that that's uh, that's wonderful. And so now, when you were trying to retool, did you do any retooling in your process of going from a I would call it a corporate job um, to being back in the uh, the sales saddle, so to speak? Well, retooling, I mean, to an extent, yes, but not really. It, it, it kind of goes back to that whole, you know, you never forget how to ride a bike, even if you haven't ridden a bike in years. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that you still remember, a lot of the fundamentals. But then once you get in there and you kind of kind of reimmerse yourself, you kind of practice interviewing skills, you know, you, you, you're selling yourself in interviews no matter what industry it's in. You're selling features and benefits. You know, I have, you know, this degree, that degree, I have this experience and that experience. Those are my features. The benefits are, well, it won't take me long to come up to speed. I've done this before. Um, it'll make your job easier by hiring me. I have these relationships. I'm familiar with this, with this territory, this geography. So being able to sell yourself in, in, that, in that sort of environment Again, you kind of never forget those things. Um, I may have maybe Googled some things just to kind of, you know, how to interview for this for this job or for this industry, and then it just kind of all came back to me. So 
it wasn't as hard as it was the first time getting into the industry. So, and then being able to bring in at that time, probably 10 or more years of experience also helped. You know, you made a, you touched upon something that I think new or individuals who are getting ready to enter into the sales force need to understand about the interviewing process. What makes, what gives a person who has experience a little bit of a leg up? You, you really touched upon ramp up time. You know, the fact that you, you have the relationships and by putting you in and you, you know, this, you know, the product, you know, the, the, um, the territory and being able to ramp up really quickly is very, very important because I don't think people really understand that sitting across the other side of the table, a lot of, you know, sales managers have a quota and they want to know, they want to put a person in the territory that's going to, and has a quick ramp up. They don't want to sit there and have somebody have to, if it's going to take you maybe only uh, 60 days or 30 days to start getting scripts written versus someone who's going to take them 90 or maybe um, uh, maybe more than that that's an advantage and so you really brought that was a, that's a really good point that I definitely want want our listeners to to really take a heed to is when you're sitting in an interview it's about selling you have to sell the value of what you bring to the table Absolutely. and it's not just the skill but also the business factor of why they should hire you. The fact that, hey, this is my, my you know, I have this background. I'm going to I'm going to be able to come hit the ground running. That's that's a powerful thing. Um, now, what skills would you say are necessary for a person to possess in pharmaceutical sales? The ones that say, for example, let's start with the, the skills that a sales manager is going to want you to have come day one and then the skills that say for example we will give you an advantage if you have them day one I'll answer your second question first the skills that you want to have before day one uh, is the ability to first be an active listener um, in this in this industry sales in general what a lot of us and I'm, I'm, I've been guilty of this is that you spend more time talking than listening. Um, you're trying to data dump and get so much information out to a person that at some point you, you kind of get tuned out. But being an active listener, being able to check in with the person and say, okay, if I heard you correctly, you said thus and so, so that I can you know, understand. And then it lets them know that you're listening to them. Another thing is uh, certainly being professional as, at all times. You know, you always want to be perceived as a person who's serious about their business as the your customers are serious about theirs. Now there are some of them who are a little bit more laid back and relaxed and so you kinda have to you kinda have to match the person who you are who you're talking with or who you're working with. Um, another thing is being able to uh, read and understand and being able to communicate information clearly, effectively and concisely, being able to overcome objections. And probably uh, two of the other biggest skills, and if you want to call them skills, that you want to um, make sure that you're bringing to the table. And I'm mentioning this because this kind of falls in line with when an interviewer sits back and asks you, says, um, what are your strengths or what are your weaknesses or areas that you, know, you can improve upon? And my answers always stay the same in terms of things that I can improve upon. And this goes to that skill. Being able to ask for help, not being ashamed to ask for help when you need it. Um, that is always my answer because it's actually true. Uh, the other is be coachable. Letting a manager know that you can be coachable and that you're, you're willing to learn and to understand and to grow despite the constructive criticism uh, is a very important thing that you wanna make sure a manager, any manager, regardless of your industry, uh, know that about you is that you'll ask for help when needed and that you're coachable because if you're coachable that means you can learn more and then you can grow more definitely agree definitely agree make sure that you're coachable be open active listening those are all things that I think are are, 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 
are are very are crucial, um, especially in your in the um, in your interview process. And then now, once you're in the job, mm-hmm. um, what other skill? What other skills did you learn as you were actually once you became um, a pharmaceutical rep? Well, certainly understanding uh, business analysis, how to analyze your territory looking for where your opportunities to, to, to grow your numbers are. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase that, that, that we use that I got from one of my bosses. You go, you pick strawberries where the strawberries are growing. You, you, you don't go to, to, a, to an apple tree looking for strawberries. You want to go where the, where the fruit is being is best uh, produced. So being able to analyze the territory, looking at your numbers, looking at who's writing what, uh, why they're writing it, understanding managed care opportunities, because there are a lot of things that play into the whole sales process outside of, yes, being an active listener, yes, knowing your product, uh, yes, understanding you know clinical studies and all that. There are a lot of things that play into that. So, but being able to analyze a, a business territory and how you would approach it, you know, what steps would you, take when you look at you know this report on this territory so what is it that you see and being able to communicate that to an interviewer or with your manager and what your plan or your approach is to uh you know to to address it and then that's also an opportunity for you to ask your you know ask the manager in this case you know what sort of ideas did you have this is what i you know am thinking you know kind of tell me what you think about that and make it a dialogue and make it a team effort. But one thing, uh, managers, uh, you want to make sure that you do is that you want to be preemptive when you're doing your business analysis, especially if you see a problem, let's say you have writers declining. You want to be able to pick out that information before you have that conversation with your boss because the first thing they're going to ask you is, you know, what's going on here? You know, what's your, what's your plan for it? So you want to be on top of your business in that way. And so you can have that conversation. Now, if there's some things that you may be missing out on, then your manager can say, hey, you know what? Well, this is what I look at when I see that. That's good, but allow me to add this along to that. And that goes to that part about being So, okay. So the business side, understanding not only that bringing the skills that are going to help you be able to communicate and be successful in the day-to-day with the doctors, but then also being able, there's a business side of to being a pharmaceutical rep and understanding how to determine when you may have a problem within your, within your specific territory and then putting together a plan and effectively being able to, uh, to combat whatever the, the situation right. the situation is mm-hmm. okay exactly. wonderful now for someone who's thinking about getting into pharmaceutical sales skills aside what do you think they need to think about in saying that they'll be a good fit for being a pharmaceutical salesperson the first thing i would say definitely you have to have a at least a bachelor's degree that and, and the reason I say that is because the whole process of getting into the pharmaceutical sales industry, medical device industry, whatever it is, it's a weed out process. And so these companies, because they know that people are wanting to work for them, they can afford to tell a lot of people no. But certainly hmm. making sure that you have your undergraduate degree, and in some cases having, having your master's degree, which I had, I had a master's degree coming into it. I know some people who have, uh, you know, who just have their bachelor, who just have their bachelor's degree. Um, but definitely, you know, making sure that you that you have the basics. All right. Um, the other thing is, know how to handle rejection. I mean, in sales, regardless of industry, you're going to be told no. You are going to have that door slammed in your face. What you do with that is can, can make the difference. You know, you want to make sure that you're able to pick yourself up, you know, dust yourself off, figure out what you could have done better, and then and then keep it moving. Because any manager in any sales industry will tell you that if you can't handle rejection, you're not cut out for sales. Period. Full stop. 
So making sure that you know you, you're not you're not taking these things personally, even if they may appear to be personal. But you always want to allow yourself the time to introspect and figure out, okay, what is it that I could have done better? Another thing is um, constantly, you know, looking for ways to self-improve. Uh, I know that in a lot of uh, managerial situations, you know, they're looking for people who don't just learn what they learn in training. What other steps are you doing to show that you're the type of person that wants to keep on learning and growing? I think that a commitment to, and this is one of the reasons why, why I ended up getting an advanced degree, uh, uh, two master's degrees, is because if I were ever asked that question, I could say, John can demonstrate that he can go beyond the basics. He can exceed just what is expected, but I know this person will continue to work, to learn, to grow, and that's a skill set that you should be able to communicate to a hiring manager that, you know what, I'm not just satisfied with being here. These are the steps that I take to, to self-improve. And if you can do that personally, then you can uh, do that professionally, you know, when you communicate that to me. A growth mindset, as uh, one of my previous uh, interviewees uh, mentioned, he said when he sits down with people, he's he's looking to see if they have a growth mindset because they're tri- they're coachable yep. and they're they're hungry. Okay. Now, you mentioned, I wanted to ask you earlier, you mentioned handling objections. Kind of tell me, what are some of the object, what, what are some objections that you guys would uh, encounter um, in, your, in your profession? Probably the biggest objection that, uh, that, that we encounter, that I encounter, that I'm pretty sure anybody that's ever done this job encounters is cost. Because, you know, we are never not in a cost-sensitive environment, especially when it comes to, you know, when it comes to healthcare. So the way that you get around objections, or I should say the way that you handle objections, is first off, try to find out exactly what it is they're objecting to. You know, because just to say it costs too much is a very vague and very nebulous type of response. And so the way that you kind of work around it and it also shows that you know that that customer that you are really interested in helping them solve that problem so for instance a question could be well doctor when you say the medicine is too expensive are you talking about from a cash perspective or from a copay perspective so depending on how they answer that question will dictate which direction you go so let's just say for instance uh, it's a copay perspective. Well, the copay is, you know, 100, 100, 100 bucks a month. My, my, my patient can't pay that. So then the next question would become, well, doctor, uh, are we talking commercial insurance or are we talking Medicare? Well, it's commercial insurance, you know, Blue Cross, Blue Steel, whatever it is. And so then that's why having, you know, being able to understand the managed care aspect of it can help because you can say, well, you know what, doctor, um, for this patient with this insurance, uh, I noticed that in this area, their payer, their pharmacy benefit manager, which is just the people who determine how much you pay for your medicine when you don't get it, is uh, Express Scripts. Well, according mm-hmm. to our data, Express Scripts actually prefers X drug, and because they do, it's going to cost the patient, instead of the 95 or $100, it's actually going to cost them $50. Now, allow me to give you this copay card that's going to bring that patient's uh, copay down even more. So what that means for your patient is that they're going, they're not going to pay, uh, they're going to pay the lowest amount that they could possibly pay for a branded medication. What that means for you is that they're getting the medicine that you want them to have and that patient is not going to call you back saying, I can't afford it. That's an example of, um, of being able to handle an objection. Oh, and once you have addressed it, then you circle back with that doctor and you say, doctor, did I answer your question? Is there anything that, that I haven't clarified for you? And if the answer is no, then the objection is, is, uh, is handled. If that doctor says the opposite, then you dig a little bit further. Okay, well, what haven't I answered for you? And just kind of let the conversation kind of kind of go where, where it goes. 
You know, the reason I asked you about the the handling of objections was because um, I was kind of interested to to find out what some of those are, and because I never thought that a doctor really would have an objection about something costing too costing too much because with all the different health plans out there how the heck do you know that something costs too much (laughs) i I can i can i can answer that so there was a time in fact i had a conversation with a physician uh just just last week there was a time where doctors made prescription and health decisions based on their their knowledge and their expertise but then once you introduced managed care into the into the picture, managed care is just about numbers and bottom line. So let's say, for instance, uh, let's just use United Healthcare. Let's say your doctor prescribes to you a medication for high blood pressure, which actually is one of the disease states I told you. But the insurance company doesn't want to pay to cover your high blood pressure medicine and they say, but we'll cover aspirin. Well then the patient will say, well, I don't want to pay $50 for this and my insurance company is going to you know, cover this aspirin, which is only going to cost me $5. Well, at that point, the managed care company is the one making the decision as to what it is that they're going to cover for that patient because if the patient can't afford it or won't buy it, they'll complain to the doctor. And so then the decision to go from this drug to that drug is no longer in the doctor's hands. It's now in the hands of the insurance companies, which dictate what that patient will pay based on what that insurance company thinks they should pay for. Interesting. Okay, that's the the reason that you hear people complaining about um, managed care, it HMOs. And, 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 and just, to, just to add to that, uh, a lot of people, and I was one of these people, a lot of us are under the impression that, that that pharmaceutical companies jack up the prices so the patient pays more. That's not entirely true. What a patient pays is what the insurance company payer that they have, that they selected, says that they'll pay for for that patient. So let's say if I have a drug that's the cure for cancer, it's one pill and cancer is gone. Well, if an insurance company doesn't cover my drug, it's not on that that formulary, it doesn't matter. The insurance company is not going to pay for it, and that patient is not going to be able to afford it. So when you go to the pharmacy, and let's say your your drug was, you know, you go pick up the prescription, and uh, one month it was $10, and then it went up to $30. You ask, well, I paid only $10 last month. Well, your insurance company's formulary changed, and now it no longer covers this, it covers that. I'll give you a personal example real quick. Uh, I was picking up a prescription medication, and I picked it up for probably the last maybe three or four months, and I was paying $15 every month. I was fine with that. One month I go in, and the lady says $30. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I said, can you check to see what I was paying in the previous months? She said, okay, yeah. She said, you were paying $15 before, but the reason why you're paying $30 now is because your insurance plan is now providing you with three months of medication. So $30 for three months of, uh, of medication versus $15 for one month. Then I got a letter from them. 
that said if I wanted to continue, this is from the insurance company, that said if I wanted to continue to pay $15 per month for that medication, that I would have to pay the entire amount versus paying $30 for three months. That was a no-brainer. So that was one of the situations where it kind of worked out in my favor. And it, it happens like that from time to time. But yeah, what we pay for medicine is less about what the pharmaceutical companies, you know, costs are, but what the insurance companies are, are, are willing to cover for those patients. Can't hear you. Very interesting. Sorry about that. Oh, you know, John, I, I appreciate the uh, the information. I think that this interview has been very, you know, a lot of very insightful information um, from your your career, the obstacles, all the things that uh, that you've had to go through. And um, and then the information or the skills that uh, you've you've put forth or let uh, the audience know that they need to possess in order to to have an active or a successful uh, career in sales. So I'd like to thank you for for your time. Thank you for for uh, taking the time to come in on to the uh, podcast and share your insight and your information with us. And so um, definitely, um, if you're open, would love to have you be willing to coach um, or be a mentor if someone would like to reach out to you and uh, and and have you uh, serve in that role with us with them I should say um, and then in the future welcome you back on the show on the show for future episodes talking about things that you uh, uh, further detail about the pharmaceutical industry Thank thanks you. a lot Great I appreciate it. Having me. I appreciate it and it would be my pleasure I would like to thank our guest for today's show, John McIntosh Jr. I hope that you were able to take plenty of notes. The information that he provided during this interview was a wealth of knowledge. The skills that he described that you must possess in order to be a pharmaceutical rep, the um, the skills or techniques and or things that you need to be prepared for when you go through an interview in trying to find a position because as you know the pharmaceutical uh, environment is um, is very competitive and so um, he's also been willing to be a, a mentor or a um, or a coach so by all means go on to our LinkedIn group and uh, if you have questions or things uh, that or suggestions or comments or things of that nature that you'd like for John to uh, to respond to uh, go ahead and put those in the LinkedIn group if you liked if you haven't done so already please subscribe to our podcast you can do that on Apple Goop on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify as well as Speaker and if you're like me and you like video and you want to see this um, see the video version of this podcast go over to our YouTube channel Black Sales Professional you can also see both access all of this on our new website, which is located at www.blacksalesprofessional.com. And as always, until next time, take care. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.